0: Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Carrie O'Graham about adult learning theory. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Harry, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, david. i'm I'm honored to be here.
0: Uh, well we'll carry up. I, I think we might be stating the obvious uh, for some people, but uh, but if we start uh, at the very beginning, so everybody's uh, with us at uh, at the same point, I wonder if we could start off by um, uh, if I can ask you, what is adult learning theory and why should we care?
1: Yes, that's an excellent question. I'm so happy you asked. So adult learning theory focuses on the understanding that for adults, the learning experience is much different than that of children. So my work focuses on the improving the engagement of the adult learner, supporting their information retention, and then lastly, appropriately and accurately applying the skills that they've learned. And what adult learning theory does is is over the decades that the field has been in existence it helps um, whoever the user is to employ best practices to achieve those three outcomes um, and it is it transcends across all industries which i think is the beauty of using the theory in particular
0: and um, uh, first of all thank you very much carrie i think that uh, the, uh, my observation here and i think that uh, that previous guests i would have had uh, on uh, the podcast uh, donald clark springs to mind um, is that uh, that learning and development perhaps uh, not all professionals are are aware of uh, of the importance of adult learning theory or what it is or or how they can utilize it and i wonder whether uh, we should uh, flip that um uh, for the for the next question uh, and if you could uh, just let us know what you think the most costly mistakes are that you see in learning and development in Corporate learning and development because adult learning theory isn't fully appreciated or understood.
1: Right there, you know, David. It's you know I I'm going to say some things that I are are offered with all due respect to the LND industry. And one of the things that I think is prevalent, particularly in my you know my two decade over two decades of work previously and what I've seen now, is there are some L&D professionals who have a basic understanding of adult learning, and, and they work to incorporate it. However, the vast majority of people who are working in the L&D space, whether that's their, with, you know, they um, are identifying themselves as such or not, one of the things that they're not doing is they're not acknowledging who the learner is or who their audience is as a learner. And that's the very first conversation that I consistently have with my clients is, let's not talk about the audience from the perspective of what they do um, or, you know, their, for business owners, their avatar, their ideal client, but rather let's understand who they are as a learner. Because if you can understand who they are as a learner, as you build whatever the learning experience is and the development experience, you're gonna build it toward the learner, not toward the person. You and I have very different backgrounds. We both have two eyes, one nose and one mouth, right? Um, But how we use those are very different. What our experiences are around vision, smell and taste, are different and, and if someone were to ignore that we have different experiences or different visual needs, they're negating an entire um, element of who we are and therefore it, incre- it actually increases a likelihood of disengagement. So one of the things that I, I am an advocate of is let's ensure that we are engaging the learner because if we can engage them in a meaningful way and meaningful for them, they're gonna retain the information. And if they're retaining the information, they're more likely to apply whatever the knowledge or the skill set is. And so I again, a lot of people or I would venture to say in the LND space have a lot to to work with. However, um, I, I've, I've, what I'm seeing, is that the the use of adult learning theory is oftentimes omitted from the development process?
0: To lead on to my, my next question, we we hear of and we uh, um, and we uh, uh, we explore. Uh, pedagogy and uh, and andragogy, which of course have uh, lend themselves. If I mean I'm open, uh, opening myself up to it, uh, not know what I'm talking about here. So so pull me up on it, Carrie. But but uh, but how um, uh, people learn in educational. Uh, settings and uh, with andragogy in in higher education, but there's a big difference between education and the role of learning and development in organizations, and yet the two are often confused because they can look similar and that's obviously the fault a lot of the time in the way that learning and development is set up with uh, with classrooms and uh, uh, and courses and classes uh, but people in rooms guided by people at the front um don't mask the fact that that they have very different aims. So, what do you see as the biggest differences between adult education and the aims of learning and development?
1: Yeah. well, you know I'm so happy that you bring up the point about pedagogy as well as andragogy because there is a distinct difference. And you're right. oftentimes, um, people in the l and d space, or you know in the coaching space and consulting space, they work from a place of what either they've experienced or what they've seen and that is often as you identify a you know an audience uh, all facing forward with one individual in the front who is the all knower of knowledge who is bestowing it upon them and that is a nod to pedagogy and how we treat how we teach children Um, If you look at it from one of the assumptions about adult learners, children do not have a a lengthy life experience. And so therefore they're not drawing on other, you know, on their past experiences, whereas adults, we are. And so that frame, that environment of let's all face forward, sit still, you know, and consume information, it doesn't work for the, the vast majority of adults. However, in the L&D spaces, if we consider that learning does not have to happen in a formal setting, a classroom, it can thrive in an informal setting. If we think about mentoring programs, leadership programs, yes, there is some level of let's teach a new concept, but where the retention and the application comes in is let's provide these individuals, these adults, with real life experiences that they one can draw their life experience to to navigate the space or to problem solve, and then when they're attempting to use the new skill set or the new, apply the new knowledge, they are doing it in live time. They're also trying to understand how do I use this new piece of information. To achieve a very specific goal or outcome, children can't do that. That is very complex, high level um, functioning that children are unable to do, but the adults can. And so when L and d organizations or um, professionals are creating their learning experiences, I'm an advocate for one, let's understand who these people are as learners. but then let's set up. Let's strategically design the experience so that it places them in the place, the environment, where they need to use those skills. That's what's going to drive the retention and drive the application.
0: Yeah, what, what I'm hearing from you, Carrie, is that uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a far cry from simply a sage on the stage uh, exploring topics with, uh, with the odd Exercise uh, are much more around uh, putting the the people who uh, you're seeking to influence in situations that are truly comparable to those in which they're expected to survive and thrive, so that they can, so that they're not just um, being exposed to content, uh, but very much feeling the emotion uh, as much as uh, absorbing the uh, uh, any theory um, that they may experience, that they they can legitimately um, uh, place their feet. In the, uh, and touch their, their work uh, whilst in perhaps a, uh, a training environment. So it leads me on to the next part, uh, Carrie, because uh, you know, you've touched on it already, but, um, but for our listener, how should we be incorporating adult learning theory into our work from analysis through design, implementation uh, and uh, evaluation?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. But before I get to that, you said something that I I, I want to take a moment to comment on. You you identified the emotion piece of the learning. And you know, I don't want to ignore or gloss over the fact that sometimes there is simply new information that needs to be presented when we think about national guidelines, workplace safety, um, other other government regulations. Sometimes that information simply needs to be consumed and remembered. It may not always be exciting. However, there is a way to have those conversations. Um, you know, one of the one of the conversations that you can have with someone to make sure that they are in fact retaining the information is to talk about well, how does this new piece of information compare to what you've previously done or what you previously understand that makes it real for them that makes it meaningful for them and and to that point there's also the emotional piece right like well what are your thoughts on this if it's a government regulated guideline what has been your let's have a conversation about your experience with it does it do you see it as a viable option or not you know so on and so forth. So there's one, the opportunity for problem solving, which adults are, are, are pursuing. There's also the, the sense of acknowledging the individual. As all humans, and particularly as adults, we want to be acknowledged in our work. So that's another way to do that. But I also talk um pretty lengthy about the softer side of learning, and that's the the use of emotion, the use of um, feelings and memory to support learning. I am not a proponent of using shock, you know, or um triggering comments as a way, a negative way to get people to remember things based on their emotions. But if you, You know, there are instances where having people think about, if we're going to talk about workplace safety, do you all remember the explosion at such and such? What was the human impact of that? You know, we are a family in this organization. We don't want, you know, those to have an, an instance like that. And so there is a way to incorporate the human experience and the human emotion in Getting them to engage with the new information, getting helping them retain the information, and then there's a likelihood that they're going to apply it.
0: Yeah, which sounds similar to uh, Nick shachter Jones's um, effective context model uh, of learning, where you know where people will have a significant emotional event. As you say, you don't it doesn't need to be shocking, but uh, but it's going to it's going to be jarring to an extent that it's going to uh, be different from the norm. And I get what you're saying about uh, about regulation as well, uh, Carrie, because in uh, there have been too many examples I've seen and experienced, both as uh, as an employee uh, having to do compliance training and uh, and uh, a learning and development professional as well, where um, there is very dry compliance training, which is. Uh, a legal interpretation of what was an incredibly exciting situation i mean when we introduced uh, the uh, the uk anti bribery act uh, in the uk the training i saw for it was dreadful but you imagine how exciting like, even cr- like the, the criminality behind the regulation was but but learning and development uh, in in this setting when i was at disney decided to interpret the law instead of uh, find a way of, uh, uh, of of animating or amplifying the rationale behind the law. So we went through the most, the driest, and you know we're talking about emotion here. It didn't need to be shocking. It was dry and completely forgettable uh, training. But but what was behind it was really exciting. And just imagine, and you know, there have been instances where I've worked with organisations where you take something like GDPR, and this is a real life example where you had. Um, uh, the the HR team actually commissioned a video where somebody said, hey, can I, can I two people, hey, can I have your phone? They goes, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just open it up for me. So they opened it up, gave their phone away and started flicking through and goes, do you mind if a look at your messages? And the other person was there going, no, I'd rather you didn't. But you know, but, I mean, it was cringeworthy because I mean, they were literally—they had access to their data, and you knew what the point of that was. Is that that when when your data is that important to you, you then then you want to protect it. But you but but you've also got that responsibility for others. I mean, it was—I've not even nearly done it justice uh, within that. But but you can see how you are you are uh, both appealing to somebody's keen interest as well as uh, perhaps a, a, a legitimate fear that we all have of a complete stranger going through our stuff
1: absolutely absolutely and and david one of the i i always share this story um and and it was the turning point for me in in doing adult learning work I, at one point I was worked for a state agency and I also was going through annual, right? So there's that piece of it as well, the annual training and it was on sexual harassment. And so I'm in an auditorium with um, individuals from all segments of this organization, from executives to landscaping crew. And I remember looking around at the people Seated closest to me, some were asleep, some were playing, literally playing games on their phones, and it was a a state mandated sexual harassment training, and the organization had been in and was still in a very public legal battle around sexual harassment, and and. That, that is what did, that was one of the many things that did it for me in saying, clearly something is not right as it relates to how training and development, learning and development, how those educational experiences are being presented. That, and again, it goes back to the first, my, my first focus in working with clients is the engagement piece. But then if you look, further down the line, that has such a significant financial implication. One, money was spent on the training development, which fell flat clearly, um, not only because people weren't engaged, but yet the organization was in litigation around the the very topic that was presented year after year after year. That has a, a, a significant financial cost not only in the legal system, but then you think about brand and reputation. And so there's, I, I don't think, um, and, and this is just my opinion, I oftentimes don't think that that level of thought is given to, is considered when people are thinking about, okay, I have to put together a training or a development program. Um, it really is nuts and bolts there. I view it as pretty basic. and and the the use of adult learning theory that I use, it's it's simplistic. Um, there are instances where we need to dig deep and it's used at a high level. But for the average um, business or organization, simply giving consideration to the basic assumptions about who adult learners are is key. So we've got, They use their um, rich life experiences in their learning. Adults are self-motivated, are internally motivated, right? That's a driving force. We are all problem solvers. We seek, if you think about who's in those leadership development programs, it's employees that want their career to go upward. So there, you know, there's that. Then there's also the change in social role. And that was something that I identified was really clear with all of the shutdowns associated with COVID. If you think about it, how many individuals are, you know, they have little ones at home, they send them off to school in the morning, they themselves go to work, they come back together in the afternoon. But now you have individuals who are attempting to do their work while they are also attempting to homeschool children that is a change in your social role. And so as the L professional, if I'm creating this hour long training for the employees and not giving consideration to the fact that, wow, during this COVID shutdown, many of our employees are probably also trying to navigate homeschooling. Why not find another avenue to convey the information that they want to learn? So it's, you know, I take a very basic, approach to it because with the majority of the people that I work with because it's not on their radar at all, you know, and how how to achieve those outcomes. But again, for those LD organizations that are or departments that are well developed, I I encourage them to take a deeper look at how can we really leverage the use of adult learning theory in our current work. It's not to say, let's clean house and flip things on its head, but how can we enrich the work that we're doing?
0: And so with those considerations, uh, Carrie, uh, what impact does that have then on, uh, as I I mentioned before, the analysis, the design, as well as the experience for the learners and uh, and the evaluation?
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you for bringing us back to it. (laughs) i get so passionate i get so passionate so when when we're thinking about design if we're giving the consideration to the adult learner i would then say let's set that you know we've got it we have a clear understanding let's set it aside let's look at any um information that we may have as it relates to data analysis so if there are feed you know types of feedback data points that we can also incorporate let's review those but when we are thinking about the design and construction that's where it takes some finesse in terms of okay are they um, like does this person have experience with the concept if they do we can do a review of the basic um, tenets of whatever it is and then ha- present information more progressive if it's a um, Someone who or an audience who is well versed in the topic, we jump right in. But what I found is if you have a mixed audience, right? So you're not, or you're not sure how their um what their knowledge base and skill set is, I offer doing a review, like just a very basic review of whatever the information or skill is, and then layer the information and the complexity. That is going to support the learner. So, when you're designing, that's the approach that I advise people to do, but also incorporate opportunities for problem solving. Because if you do that, you're, you're supporting the learning, the reinforcement of the learning and comprehension, but you're also giving them opportunities to practice, right? They're, you're giving them opportunities to apply the information or the skill set. And so when we think about design, that's how I leverage using adult learning in the design. It's let's look at who they are and build to that, you know, whatever the content is or the skills are build to that and then incorporate realistic practice opportunities, problem solving opportunities. And then when we, you know, when we then say, okay, go off, do your job and um, apply it with the expectation that it's done perfectly, if you've used that approach, there's an increased likelihood that you will get the return that you are anticipating. But without that, you're really taking a stab in the dark as uh, in terms of will they remember what we've presented to them, will they apply the skill? And then will they actually apply the skill accurately? So that's what I would say in the design phase is you you really have to build in a way to support them and to support the 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 comprehension of information. And then at the end, that's the opportunity for analysis. I am an advocate for assessment. the uh, qu- quantitative assessment is critical. You know, the qualitative feedback is is helpful, but if you're re- thinking long term, using a quantitative assessment of learning is it's absolutely mandatory.
0: Thanks, Carrie. Um Of course, I can see how that would uh, would benefit the uh, the face to face experience, and uh, and as and as the the shift to virtual. Uh, certainly in the last couple of years. Uh, But e-learning has notoriously low engagement rates. Uh, I'm I'm still yet to meet anybody outside of L&D who has a good word to say about it. Uh, And with such a negative association, uh, despite being designed robustly, how can adult learning theory help instructional designers appeal to workers and make a demonstrable difference to performance with e-learning?
1: Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. And I am an advocate of the face-to-face or or just a live conversation, but I recognize we all, you know, can't do that. So one of the things that I I would agree that the learning experiences that are built are that are constructed are robust. But I always question, is it robust from the perspective of these are all the bells and whistles and the fancy things that, you know, learning trees that people can click and and move on. So there's that. There's also the content, right? Like how, how is the content presented? Is the language that's being used language that's easy to understand, right? So it might be a small video when, you know, you, Take a little quiz, and you move on. But what is the language that's being used? and and it, this is the big part. If it has any type of engagement activities, one, but two, are they based on things that are meaningful to the individual, the end user? and i've I've yet, you know I'm consistently looking at online platforms for learning. And I have yet to see a a company who talks about on their website, we, we work with you to understand who the learner is or what their experiences are, and then incorporate that into the construction of the program. And, and I, I haven't seen it. I, I, I would venture to say that I think that would be a, a um, a great way to support an e-learning experience, but I haven't seen it at all. Um, I'd be curious if anyone wants to take that on. I don't, but if anyone
0: wants to take that on. (laughs) Yeah, for what what you're explaining there, uh, uh, describing uh, Carrie, I see that as uh, learning developments um, uh, requirements to to isolate skill sets and then develop topic-centric content Uh, But of course, what we're describing here is user-centric, is employee-centric. So understanding what it is, who those people are, what it is that they're expected to do and what they're not able to do efficiently or effectively and then help them in the context of the work, of the organization, of the clients and the stakeholders that they're But the thing is, Carrie, that's really hard to do and it requires a lot more analysis and you can't buy um, libraries and suites of online content to fix that. And this is why, I always say that this is why learning and development are always continually looking for the silver bullet, because in the absence of an analysis everything looks like the solution uh, we've gone through the Netflix of learning uh, we've tried to save the world from boring e-learning uh, we've got AR and VR all of these are the next silver bullet because what we've we've told ourselves is that if if the learners themselves looked harder at the con- at the millions of bits of content that we've provided for them, then they'll get it. And then we say to them, they need to learn how to learn. They need more time to do this. The savvy learner, the smartest people you could hire in your organization have given you the thumbs down on your generic online content because it doesn't solve their problems. And yet in learning and development, we will continue to seek that silver bullet that saves us from analysis and saves us from understanding enough of the people that we're seeking to influence. I'll get off my st- my Soapbox, Carrie. Does any of that it. resonate?
1: <laughs> I love it, David. I love it. I mean, you're, I totally agree. You're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, every client that I've ever had, they consistently tell me on the first day we meet or that, that we work together and then throughout and definitely at the end, Carrie, this is basic, but it's so meaningful and powerful. I don't understand why other people aren't talking about it. I don't understand why other people are not using adult learning theory. And I say, you're exactly right. You are exactly right. People so often, or businesses so often are looking for the engagement. But like you said, it's a, the silver bullet approach. Like I'm gonna give, I'm gonna do something that is the, the draw to engage them. When the reality is, is, engagement is about the the end user it is their motivation so if you don't understand what their motivation is if you don't understand what matters to them how can you possibly whether you throw a million dollars at it like whatever you do it it you are gonna consistently like you said get the thumbs down like it it and 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 the sad part about it is businesses spend so much money in all of the bells and whistles and all all of the arsenal of silver bullets, <laughs> but yet, you know, they're they're still not they're still missing the mark. Um, and again, I I am a proponent of using adult learning theory. If it is a business with a very small L and D team or HR team, I recognize that they've got a lot to juggle, and there are some some simple ways that they can enrich the work that they do. The same holds true with, with as I've said before, larger organizations that ha- have pretty well-defined L&D departments. They can take a deeper dive into um, using and applying the theory.
0: Okay, well, let's let's take what we've just been discussing there and look at one of the biggest challenges facing organizations right now, not just learning and development, entire organizations, and that is upskilling and reskilling, because L&D doesn't know how to address this uh, and that's why there's a, there's a huge silver bullet market out there with tech platforms, uh, with generic off-the-shelf content, uh, and there was a, um, uh, a report that was published a couple of years back by in the UK, the Industrial St- uh, Strategy Council, uh, said there are four major factors affecting um, uh, the UK. Uh, there's, a dis- uh, there's a deficit in these skills. Uh, by 2030, they'll be incredibly pronounced. One of them is digital. We get that. One of them is STEM, um, science, technology, engineering, maths. I get that. Uh, one of them is leadership and management. Right? That's happening on our watch, right? This is hundreds of billions of dollars spent annually and this is learning and development leading the charge and this is wasted, this is still one of these gaps. The fourth one, Carrie, is training and teaching. It's not, it's assumed that there isn't the capability, the skills in organizations to actually close these skills gaps, right? So this is staring us in the face. So how should we go about closing the skills gaps if we understand or we took the time to understand adult learning theory
1: yeah so let me just say the uk is not alone in that that is a problem in the us as well and it's been a problem for a number of years i as a college professor prior my prior career that you know the government the department of education was consistent and the labor department was consistently putting out statistics that for upcoming graduates these are the skill sets that people are looking for so it is it is a, glo- I believe it's a global issue. That aside, I would say that you have to give thought to what is the outcome. Like if you're in the LND space, what is the outcome? One of the reasons why I chose to go in a business for myself is I can, my entire career, I worked under managers who didn't know how to manage. They liked being elite, like having the leader title They didn't know how to lead they didn't know how to manage and i always think how do these people get in these roles like (laughs) politics aside but nevertheless i would say and we if we think about adult learning theory and how to leverage it we have to think about what is the outcome that we want ultimately and then what do we need to do from a systematic perspective to help support that pipeline so If we're thinking about any of those four areas and upskilling, skill development, I argue, let's go back to the beginning, but let's change who the audience is. So let's look at early career individuals. Who are they as learners? What are they braining? How can we support them? How can we support their skill development in the pipeline? Mid careers, and there was a huge explosion. I want to say, 2018, around millennials entering the workforce, um, and so much focus around them. But let's then look at mid-career employees. That those are people who are having shifts in social roles. They're thinking about their careers from a different perspective. So their their internal motivation for either upskilling or maintaining the skills that they have totally changes. But if you're not acknowledging that this is a generation of people who wanna retire early, or they're only working to put their kids through college, health issues, like you're, you're again negating the fact that in, their interest in learning new skills is waning. And how can you leverage that? And the same holds true with executives. I would argue the motivation for an executive attending a training is very different than someone who's early in their career or in an entry level position. So if you want to upskill those individuals or provide them with new skills in general, you again have to look at them for who they are at that moment in time. And and you know for there are some other issues that come into play, such as economics and social justice that also um, can be barriers to those areas of, of skill development. But from the perspective of adult learner, I would say that's that's how you leverage it. You you really have to look at the person or the group of individuals, where they are in the career life cycle. And, and I don't think anyone does. I, I really don't believe that there's this, let's get everyone in a leadership development course. There's no consideration for age, experience, age, experience um, the lot of it all.
0: Okay, great. Well, Carrie, as we come to the end of uh, this conversation, if the listener wishes to get a, gr- a better grasp of adult learning and incorporate it into their practice, what can they do today to, uh, to get started?
1: Yeah, I would say, so aside from visiting my website, because there's some resources there, drdrcarygram.com, there are resources there. But the very first thing I would say is give consideration to who your audience is and then give some thought to who they are as learners. Here's a simple way to look at it. Your ideal client or your employee staff are the people you invite to a dinner party. How you have a conversation around what a thermos is, that will be different because you might have someone who's at your dinner party who is fifth generation thermos bankers, someone from a um, background who has never seen one before. How you talk about a very specific, like the same item or the same subject, how you talk about it is different person to person. So again, if you can appreciate who your audience is as a learner, that is in fact the very best place to start. And then if you've done that already, I would say the next thing then is as you're building your content, make references back to who they are as a learner. And how can I reinforce their ability to remember the information. And equal to that, what can I do? What activities can I give them that will reinforce information, but also give them opportunities to apply the skills or apply that information? So I, I always say, go for improving engagement, not with a silver bullet, but with understanding who they are and then help increase their retention and then also help with their skills application three things very i'd like to say very easy (laughs) but they can be challenging
0: great Uh, and carrie if people wish to connect with you or follow your work how best can they do so
1: they can do so on my website so again it's uh, drcarriegram.com and i spend my time, my social media time on LinkedIn, but the best place to, even if you'd like to schedule a um, chat with me, my website is the best place to do it.
0: Wonderful, we'll put some, uh, some links in the show notes. But all's for, uh, left for me to say, is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast.
1: Oh my goodness, David, thank you so much for having me. I, I, you know, here in the States it's in the morning. And so you got me all riled up talking about uh, adult learning and L So thank you so much for the opportunity to spend some time with you and your
0: audience. It's always useful to step back and explore foundational theories on learning and map these to our priorities, working with clients. And so I hope this provided you with some useful insights for your own reflection. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, for which you'll find links in the show notes as well. Goodbye for now.